Hello, my lovies. Are you a mom who has a child with autism who could use more peace and ease, supportive connection, and tender loving care in your life? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Compassion Confetti for Autism Moms, the podcast. Take a listen as we share wisdom and experiences related to the unique ups and downs of an autism caregiver. I hope to provide you with the resources that will help you meet your needs as you manage what is possibly a loud, messy, and beautiful life. I'm your host, Colette Evangelista. Let's open our hearts, turn on our ears, and get to listening. Hello, my lovies. Welcome to another podcast of Compassion Confetti for Autism Moms. I'm thrilled that we found each other today, and I'm excited to introduce our guest. She is very special to me. Her name is Marsha Burton, and she is one of the trainers at the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, where I just completed one of my steps in my training to become a teacher in training myself. So Marsha has agreed to come on today to talk with us about her perspective and her experience with self-compassion. And I'm going to give her a little bit of a background, her official background, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about she and I's more personal background. First thing is that she started studying self-compassion at the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion in 2015 and has been offering eight-week MSC classes in her beautiful location, let's all be incredibly jealous, of Salt Spring Island near Vancouver since 2016. She considers herself to be an ongoing student of MSC, teaching with humility and an understanding that she is a beginner on her own personal lifelong journey for self-compassion. And she loves opening up the possibility for others to join her on this journey. Marsha has an MA in counseling and psychotherapy, and since 2000, she has been supporting adults, youth, couples, and families experiencing the effects of bereavement, trauma, stress-related illness, cancer, anxiety, depression, and challenges in relationship. She is a registered clinical counselor with the BCACC and offers counseling and psychotherapy in her private practice. She is a student of Hakomi. Is that correct? I don't even know what that is. We're going to have to talk about that. She's a student of Hakomi since 1997, which is a mindfulness-based, body-centered, experimental psychotherapy method. Marsha has extensive background in meditation and mindfulness, as well as self-compassion, which she's going to share with all of us today. And we're going to just go ahead and start with now how I know Marsha and my relationship with her and how much I value her. So like I said at the beginning, Marsha is one of my teachers, of course, that I just finished in terms of moving forward with my being able to teach mindful self-compassion. And the way that I view her as a teacher is this, I get images in my head. And the way that I see Marsha is this perfect, this is going to sound interesting, white plug that is plugged into the earth. She is super grounded, super like drama free, just really, I just see so much stability in her. But at the same time, she has this like iridescent glimmering glow. It's like pearlescent around her. And that's like her lightness and her just the light that she shares. Whereas like my light is like sparkles and fireworks and it'll blow you over like a fire hydrant. She just has this beautiful pearlescent glimmering effervescence to her so she's super grounded and still effervescent and I think that that's a, such a beautiful balance and that's totally the way that I see Miss Marcia is an image in my head and so with that I'm so looking forward to her 
getting into more depth with me because honestly, we did not have a chance to get to know each other on a more deeper level with the teaching because there are so many of other participants. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing her personal journey with self-compassion and how it impacted her and with her wisdom and experiences, how it can come and help us, all of us in the autism community who could find that same value with self-compassion. So welcome, Marsha. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. What a beautiful introduction. I can feel myself blushing. (laughs) Well, I think you're wonderful. You are a wonderful person, and I hope to be as good of a teacher as you are someday. So let me first ask you, my very first question I have for you is, how did you find self-compassion? How did it enter into your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that anxiety is something that's come and gone for me all my life. And I was uh, talking to a friend, and she told me about this course called Mindful Self-Compassion, and I thought, that sounds like something that maybe I need. I, I had had a feeling like something was missing in my life. And and anyway, I went and took the course and I realized how very much I needed self-compassion. I'm quite a self-critical person. And yeah, I, I, the, the self-compassion course just opened doors, so many doors for me that were that were very tightly closed for many years. When I went to do the teacher training, I just thought, oh, I can offer myself compassion, but I can't actually feel it. It just feels like nothing. It feels like a a bar like a barren landscape. I remember using that that term, and um, it took it took me quite a while until I could. I'm very good at offering compassion to others, but so not at my for myself. So I've I've gotten much better at it, but um, certainly in the beginning, it was quite difficult for me. Why do you think? that so many of us with big hearts and the intention to change and the intention to live a life with more joy and with more peace and ease, why is it so hard for self-compassion to land? And we are, a lot of us can give, especially as caregivers, I'm a special needs caregiver, we're so outwardly focused on, you know, creating as much ease as possible for those that we love. So why do you think it's such a challenge for it to land on a personal level? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, Colette. Kristen Neff, one of the co-founders of the Mindful Self-Compassion course, she's written pretty much a whole book about that, and, and particularly women. Actually, I think that self-compassion is difficult for everyone. And and I think for women, we're, we're taught to, to take care of others before ourselves, and, and sometimes instead of ourselves. Certainly not before someone else or more than someone else. I think the best that I can hope to shoot for in this lifetime is to include myself in my own circle of care. You know, that that image, I love that image of seeing all the people in my life, all the beings in my life. Of course, there's house plants and animals in there as well. It's beyond people. All the beings I care for are in a circle and there's a space in the circle and I'm standing outside of it. And I often encourage people to see if, don't, don't put yourself above anybody else, but see if you can step into that circle of care that you offer to everyone else so that you're also a being that's, that can receive that. Marsha, I have to say, I think that is brilliant. A lot of us learn in different ways and lessons and ideas can take root in, in, you know, for different people in different ways. And that visual 
is something that I've never considered. And it made so much sense to me that look at this circle that you said that we're, that you're taking care of and you belong in that circle, right? Like you almost at your best could be like, I'm inside the circle. Yes. Not even just making sure that you're integrated into the circle, but you're like the nucleus of that circle. And, and, you know, in a lot of strength and, and a lot of practice, you know, could, could we get there? Because that would just be a lovely, lovely place to land. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. In my mind, when I have that image, there's a campfire in the center of this, that circle. And it's an interesting thing to think about. Do I want to carry that much responsibility? Actually, it, it's something about having the campfire there in the center is like this circle of care is beyond me. I can get into that illusion that I'm responsible for all these people and all these beings. I'm not responsible for them. They're just individuals that have stepped into my life and I care about them. But I want to be on an equal with them. I don't want to be orchestrating anything. I want I want the earth and the stars to be doing that for me. I want to be held too. Okay. You just clarified something that in my self-compassion practice needs to be considered. And I have to say, I lead from what I said about like, I right now in my practice, I'm like, okay, well, I need to really own my self-compassion to be a part of it. But what you just said makes so much more sense, so much more sense. And I think it is imperative for a caregiver to hear what you said and for what you said to make more sense than for what I said, because we already are, you know, so prone to be outwardly focused and to be able to really understand that it is not our responsibility. That is like something that as caregivers, we struggle with, like part of us gets so overwhelmed and struggle because we are taking on too much responsibility. We're taking on a load that is not ours to carry. And for you to remind me of that is so important. And for you to share that with my community, I'm so grateful for that. So thank you. That was really, really good. Thank you. I appreciate you asking the question too, because I, it clarified it for me as well. I know. Don't you love when you talk out loud and you're like, oh my gosh, that like made so much. Like, I can't tell you how many times I talk out loud and I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Like, why didn't I figure that out before? So one of the things that I talk about on my podcast when I'm speaking to an autism caregiver is that we have a lot of on our plates and there's a lot of things that we need to manage. And so when I ask a parent or a caregiver to try to do certain things to take care of themselves, you know, it's often can be received as one more thing that I have to do, right? So like, oh, here's self-compassion practice now. Like, when do I have time for this? Like, when when do I have to do this? So I'm always encouraging people, you know, to kind of like find their own path and honor their own timeline. But can you tell me a little bit how, when you started first practicing, you know, what it looked like for you and some of the things that you took that resonated more with you that you implemented and some things that just kind of give us a little background on how you feel like when someone's trying to implement this from your own experience, what you would suggest. Yeah. Yeah. I always encourage people to go with what feels good. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of practices and meditations and techniques in the mindful self-compassion training rather than approach it like a like a musician anyone who's a musician knows this if you when you're taught well, well I, I was taught to play an instrument they said uh when you read a piece of music 
go through and play the whole thing. And then don't practice the parts that you could play well on the first time. Go through and pull out all the parts that are difficult and practice them one at a time over and over again until you can get them down. Self-compassion practice is the opposite of that. It's about finding the places that are easy, the places that feel good, the places that feel natural, and going there and staying there for as long as you want. It, it, forever. If you take one practice out of the program and, and do that for the rest of your life, and that's all you do, you're practicing self-compassion right there. So it's about that. That's a self-compassionate approach to, to learning self-compassion. That is so lovely. And I love the idea that you're reinforcing the fact that anytime you're bringing in, when you're practicing self-compassion, you're doing an invitation to yourself for peace and ease, right? So you're saying, this is what's going to be easy. This is going to be a good thing. This is going to reinforce a sense of safety and support with yourself. And, you know, no matter how you find it or how you do it, as long as you're practicing that and you're finding that space, that's where you're going to be moving forward and really experiencing the value of self-compassion. You yeah. asked me about personally as well. Yes. Like, well, mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, I'm a sort of person who's um, very tactile and there's a name for this that's escaping me right now, but, but like anything that's body-centered works well for me. So like I'm, somatic, like yeah, a somatic practice. Somatic. There's another word. There's another word for it. I think that's easier for me. My mind doesn't get so complicated. It doesn't feel so hard. I can't really trick myself into practicing criticism instead of self-compassion because it is simply just placing a hand somewhere on my body, like a hand over my heart, as you can see I'm doing right now. It, and it and it starts to have an immediate effect on the nervous system. And that for me was a real easy place to start. And, and I just started doing that when I would wake up in the morning, because especially because I was having a lot of anxiety at that time. It was really soothing. Just spending 30 seconds just placing a hand over my heart before I got up. And then also before I went to sleep at night, I would also place a hand on my heart or sometimes even just like stroke one of my arms. Real simple. That soothing touch, starting with the soothing touch. Now, as you've gone through your journey and it's deepened, what would you say your greatest lessons have been or your greatest, the greatest value that you have found that it has brought into your life? Ooh, that's a good question. I think this is really something that I haven't reflected on before. Um, I would say that it's changed my relationship to myself. Yes, it has. I can now sometimes look in the mirror. And I know lots of people have probably tried this because I had tried this for a long time before I did the self-compassion training, the kind of looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I love you. And that was always just, you know, I would do it, but it didn't feel right. And I didn't feel comfortable. And since really being with the self-compassion, I feel like I can. Sometimes I look in the mirror, not trying to make anything happen, but I look in the mirror and I go, oh, hello, hello. And there's like a genuine feeling of welcoming myself and, and looking at myself in the mirror and saying, you're beautiful. 
you are beautiful. And I, and I really don't mean you are a movie star who deserves to be on a catwalk. I don't mean that kind of beautiful. I mean, you are beautiful. There's something in you that shines. And just like there's something in everyone who shines and I can see it in you. And that's so touching to me to be able to be in a place of, of genuinely doing that and not doing it to try and improve myself or make myself better or something like that. It's more just, oh, it just feels natural, like seeing a flower and saying, oh, you're beautiful. Well, that totally made me tear up. I'm so grateful that you have that experience. And if there's anything that I would wish for all of the light beings that listen to this podcast and all the precious souls that have found us, that may we wish that upon them. And, you know, it's a journey. And when you get there, you know, we're just wishing that for you. That was just, and again, that's, that's been my experience with self-compassion. And that's why it's so important for me to share it and to see it in you is just, you know, I just wish it for all of us. So thank you for that. So I don't even know how to read. I don't even know how to go into another question after that one. <laughs> I would love to hear just your perspective and your infinite wisdom on the three pillars of self-compassion. Just talk from your experience and what you know about self-kindness, mindfulness, and common humanity. I just would love to hear just a little tidbit of wisdom on those three things from you, if you were to sum them up. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, that's, again, something that Kristen Neff coined, those three components of self-compassion. I'll just kind of tell you how I would normally teach this in the course. You know, the, the three mindfulness, self-kindness, and common humanity. Really, we want to, if we want to bring self-compassion to our experience, the first thing we need to do is become aware that we're not bringing self-compassion to do it. You know, we, we notice ourselves doing something other than that, which tends to have a tone often for me of feeling tight or upset, struggling in some way. So if I can notice that I'm struggling, then, then I get to choose uh, what I might do next. So the, that bringing mindfulness is a way of checking, kind of building the habit of checking in with ourselves throughout the day and, and noticing as soon as we notice that there's some difficulty in, this, in, in ourselves, some kind of pinch or tightness or, or, or feeling of aversion. We bring that feeling of mindfulness. It can really shift something. So, so just to, some of you might or might not be so familiar with mindfulness and there's it's a confusing word these days because it's used all over the place it's become a bit like the word love what does that even mean so when we use mindfulness we're talking about a way of noticing our present moment experience with an attitude of acceptance and often when we're in a pinch what we're doing is rather than noticing our experience with with an attitude of acceptance we're trying to get rid of our experience or we're overly identified with it. So I like to use the analogy of getting up, standing on a, the platform at a train station. The train, the anger train comes into the station. And what happens to me really often is I just get on it. And I'm 10 minutes down the road on the anger train and I go, oh my God, I'm 
I'm angry. I'm going the wrong direction. I don't want to be on the anger train. I have to get off and turn around and get back to the platform I was on. But that's, that's using mindfulness. It's noticing that we've become kind of overly identified with an emotion. We sort of become that anger or that distress or whatever it is we're feeling. And if we can bring mindfulness in, it's that awareness and that acceptance of saying, oh, so we can eventually learn to see the anger train come into the station and we go, oh, that's the anger train. Hmm. Is that going to be helpful for me to get on that right now? Maybe not. And then the, the anger train just moves through the station. So it kind of comes and comes through us and moves through rather than us getting on and getting attached to it. So that's that's a mindfulness. That's that that and and actually for me, sometimes it takes two weeks or ten years, to be honest, to notice, oh, I'm on the anchor train with that person ten years later. Maybe I can get off now. So it's never too late. We can always start now. And as we as we practice it, we get better and better at catching it faster. But certainly it does it's still helpful to practice retroactively like that. So yeah, once we notice that we're feeling something other than self-compassionate, we can then bring in a feeling of common humanity. Like, oh yeah, right. Common humanity, shared human experience. We all feel like that sometimes. One of the things that, that says in the teacher training guidebook that I, that I love is because there's so many people on the planet, um, the odds are that any time I'm having a moment of difficulty, and, and, and unhappiness, I can be pretty confident that there's about 250,000 people across the globe that are also feeling something really similar, if not identical. So that feeling of broadening my experience out to humanity in general, this is some human experience. This is normal. This isn't happening to me because there's something wrong with me. It's happening because I'm human. And this is what happens to humans. We, we, we get upset sometimes. We have difficulty. And once I can feel into that common humanity and kind of depersonalize it a little bit, not, not just make it all about me, um, I can then go to the last component, that self-kindness, and maybe turn towards myself with some kindness. You know, what, what would feel good? What do I need right now? Given that I'm having a difficult time, given that this is a normal human experience, now what? Well, can I, can I be kind? I can see my hand goes immediately to my heart when I say that. I've got that patterned in. Maybe it's just about offering myself some soothing touch, real simple. Taking a deep breath, removing myself from the situation, going to the bathroom. Maybe it's about offering some kind words to myself. Oh, wow, I get it. It's just difficult. Or maybe it's about wow, that person is really not good for me. I'm going to stand up for myself and do something about that. I'm either going to not continue to meet with them or I'm going to say something to communicate that I'm not okay with this. Maybe I just need to really be tender with myself and care for myself right now. I love all of that. That was a perfect summary. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm going to get a little bit more specific on two topics for the autism caregiver that I'd like you to respond to if possible. The two biggest things for, I think, for an autism caregiver is one, overwhelm, and two, um, feeling very isolated 
and that kind of is going to go back to the common humanity. But would you speak to if you were to be sitting down with an autism caregiver feeling experiencing overwhelm or experiencing isolation, what would you say to them on those two topics? Mm-hmm. Great question. So when we're feeling overwhelmed, you know, we can we can apply those three those three components of mindful self-compassion. First thing is to notice that we're overwhelmed. Sometimes that's hard to do and sometimes we can't. So then in that case, it's sometimes the easiest place to work with overwhelm is retroactively. Like, you know, when we note it, when we realize at the end of the day, maybe beginning a little bit of a, 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 a review of the day as a practice before going to sleep at night, like taking 10 minutes reviewing the day. When did I feel overwhelmed today? And then looking at it from that position, rather than trying to catch it in the moment, oh my goodness, you're parenting a child with autism? Like this is way outside the charts. This is way hard. You can't just snap your fingers and manage overwhelm like that. No, it's going to take some time. So if you're new to this, I would suggest this reviewing at the end of the day. And and when you notice that you've that you've had a, a moment of overwhelm, you can go through it gently with yourself. Write down these three elements of the of self-compassion, mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness. You could do it later when the charge is, is more relaxed in your nervous system. You're not having to deal with somebody who's, whose behavior is really challenging in the moment. You've got a moment where you could be calm. So, yeah, looking through that little checklist. Oh, yeah, what was it that overwhelmed me? And can I bring some mindfulness to that, some of that, some validation to that? Yes, this was difficult. That was a moment of difficulty. That was a moment of suffering bringing the common humanity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. In that moment, there were a lot of people also feeling that. All the autistic parents in this world, oh my goodness, what a great piece of common humanity to draw on because they know really specifically what you know. And then the kindness, what do I need? You know, what what might I have needed for, for kindness in that moment? And what might I need for kindness now? Am I blaming myself now? Am I shaming myself now? That's amazing because that's what we all do. (laughs) What you just described, we all do that. (laughs) Okay. Great. Catching it early. Catching it early is really helpful. So that won't happen. That won't happen immediately if you're new to this. So um, to try and catch it in the moment right now is like going into the gym and trying to pick up the 500 pound weights and trying to lift them over your head and and then do a little dance with a headstand. No, we're not going to do that. Not going to do that to ourselves. We're going to go into the gym and we're going to pick up the tiniest weights. Maybe we even just walk into the gym and walk around. And that's what we do in the beginning. So this bringing the mindfulness that as we work with it, it gets easier and easier to catch overwhelm quicker. And the more quickly we can catch overwhelm, the easier it is to deal with in the moment. So so that catching it first it is the is the first step. And I've got a little a little haiku that I wrote that I'd like to read out because I would love it. Goes with this. Ankles in the sea. I feel the ebbing tide tug the water in me. Perfect. I'll read it one more time. Ankles in the sea. I feel the ebbing tide tug the water in me. 
So when I can chunk down my experience, so it only feels like my ankles are in the water, I can then feel that I'm getting tugged outside of myself by the water of someone else's strong emotion. And in the beginning, when we're working with overwhelm, we're standing on the beach. This actually happened to me when I was a child. My parents took us to this place on Block Island in Rhode Island that was really stormy. And I was five years old, stood on the side on the <laughs> by the waves, and a huge wave came. And just I wasn't in a swimsuit or anything. I was just standing there, and this huge wave just came and pulled me into the ocean. It completely engulfed me, and and. There's no way that I could have gotten out of that. I was toast. Someone had to come in and pull me out of the water. It was such a shock. It happened so fast and it was completely overwhelming. And that's really normal when we're working with someone, we're living with somebody whose whose behavior is challenging, especially someone who's really dear to us. Right. Lovely. That was so lovely. I love it. Thank you. Did you want to share anything else on that? Or did you want to talk about isolation? Yeah, I think that's probably probably enough. Just maybe just to say, you know, my heart goes out to autism moms. Oh, my goodness. It's a lot. It can can be a lot. Yep. You're so sweet. Okay. So then looking at isolation, that feeling of isolation as a, as an autism mom, I think podcasts like this are really great. You know, information gathering, um, community building, really important on a real practical level of in terms of building a support network for ourselves. I think that self-compassionate attitude is good for working with isolation. And I think you could probably speak more to this, Colette, than me, but I'm imagining that building those external resources can be a, a very compassionate, self-compassionate act, you know, working with what's in our environment, working with, you know, professionals who can support us and school, you know, school systems that are going to work for our child and getting as much support for our child and our family. And in that external way, I think, can be really helpful in terms of the isolation. In terms of working like internally with that, like your own internal resources with the isolation, I think there's another component of the, the self-compassion course that we that we haven't mentioned yet is around our core values. Like by core values, I mean what are the things in our life that give it that give it value? Thinking about the word value in terms of like. When we talk about money, we use the word value. You know, what's the value of that? Why would I bother doing that? What give, it gives value is something that gives our life meaning and fulfillment. So looking at that, what are my touchstones in my life that help me to, to feel like there's meaning? Things like spending time in nature or spending time with family or having alone time or the practice of patience or trust or care. These kind of things are, we all, we all have values. We might be more or less familiar with them, but a values audit is a good idea for that sense of isolation. Because when we really touch in with, into a value that we want to bring out more in our life, what we're doing is we're connecting deeply with ourselves, right from the core in. And, and that in itself is a, can be a self-compassionate act, that connecting to the deeper the deeper meaning in my life, you know, however 
whatever form your spiritual world takes or doesn't take, the sense of connecting in with what's important to me is is so deeply connecting not just to ourselves as as an individual, but to 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 the whole, the whole of life, whatever it is that connects you to the bigger picture. Honoring what it is in our lives that 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 brings us value, brings us meaning and a sense of connection to life can can be really supportive in terms of the isolation that we can feel when we're in a particular difficult situation. So so that connecting in, you know, rather than going the route of trying to um, fit in or get people to understand what, how it is for us, sometimes it can be helpful to go inside and and just connect in with ourselves and, and get some of that satisfaction and connection from ourselves. So when we connect with some of these core values, I was thinking about that, like maybe the, if you have a core value of patience, for example, but then, then that can create a portal. It can create a portal between ourselves and, and the bigger picture of life. The, that feeling, oh, it's really important to me to be patient. It's not like, oh, I have to be patient now because that's the right thing to do. It comes from such a different place. It's not, no, my heart, in my heart, I know that being patient is important to me. That brings meaning to my life. It brings value to my life. It's, it's something, there's something beautiful in that. And so if I can kind of approach a situation where I'm prone to feel impatient with from this angle of my own desire to be more patient, that can then open up the space for something really beautiful to happen. It can connect me to my higher self, my angels, whatever it is, whatever it is that, you know, for some people, a 12 step, you know, my, my 12 steps, my higher power, whatever you want to call it. Most of us have something like that where we can just even if we can see the sky at night and see all the stars and go, wow, there's something more than me here. It connects us into that bigger picture. And then suddenly the, the ability to access patience, for example, becomes much easier because again, we're, we're supported. We're back in that campfire. We're one of the people in the circle and the campfire's holding us. We're being held by something outside ourselves. And, and that can really support us in terms of that feeling of isolation. I love that you brought the campfire circle back. That is something I want to be imprinted in my head and to internalize. So that's a wonderful perspective, both on overwhelm and isolation for the autism caregiver. So thank you for that. So if I were to ask you what your personal favorite part of self-compassion, like just your favorite thing about it, whether it be as a teacher or as a practitioner, what would that be? Like I mentioned before, that soothing touch. I think that that really is my go-to it's so it's so accessible in every moment. I, I I joke with my students who I live on a small island, so we see my students and I see each other all the time in the supermarket. And I say, well, when you when you see me in the supermarket, if I'm waiting in line and I'm rubbing my shoulder, that's because I'm practicing soothing touch. I'm and it's one of my ways of grounding myself in the moment when there's a difficult situation happening. So, you know, usually in the supermarket, I can be kind of impatient and waiting for the person in front of me to go faster. <laughs> and and if I just kind of start stroking my shoulder a little bit, nobody knows that that's what I'm doing. 
but but I can support myself in that way. And so I say to my students, when you see me rubbing my shoulder, you know that I'm trying to manage that I'm impatient, <laughs> the person in front of me. And, but we can do this, meaning that we can do this all the time anywhere, and nobody needs to know that, that that's what we're doing. So I find it, it, for me, it's one of the most accessible parts of the course, because I think I can get so easily caught up in words or distracted by words or trying to find the right words or the right phrase or. Well, I actually love that because I do think it's the easiest thing to start with is that supportive, loving touch. And for me, like, I'm like a dog. I need like attention. I leave, I need affection. I need love. I need a pat on the head. And so for me, offering myself that tender, loving, gentle touch is so effective and it can be five seconds. It can be, you know, a two minute hug, whatever it is. Like, it's just, like you said, it's so accessible. And Kristen Neff is an autism mom. And in her her original book, Self-Compassion, she talks about when her son Rowan is having a behavior and how, you know, she realizes that she has to step back and she offers herself you know, a compassionate touch. And she's like, in her head, as she's touching herself compassionately, she's like, this is hard. Like, she's like, I'm recognizing that this is hard. But so like for an autism caregiver who's out in the world and is experiencing a behavior or whatever, you automatically, like you said, they can just be touching their arm and Mm -hmm. soothing their arm. And they're grounding themselves in that difficult moment with their child, grounding themselves, offering themselves support so that they are able to manage because, you know, the big thing about self-compassion is we can't stop the hard. We, we can't stop these behaviors, but how are we going to offer ourselves comfort? How are we going to care for ourselves in those moments? And so that, that touch is so imperative. Right. Right. And the real paradox in it is that when we can, when we can tend to ourselves, and soothe ourselves, it then makes it much easier to be with the other person. So so we're not doing it so that we can change the other's behavior. We're doing it to soothe ourselves. Sometimes the byproduct of that is that the other person can can be soothed. I mean, we're I'm thinking about that. Should I talk a little bit about the science behind that soothing touch? I would love it. Okay. Because you know, it it can sound it can sound a little bit um I don't know. It may be a little woo-woo or something. I love the woo-woo. <laughs> right. Well, if we're judgmental of the woo-woo, just so people know there's science behind this too. Anyone um, that listens to my podcast know I'm into the woo-woo. I talk about like my spirit guides and I talk about energy meeting energy and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, they're, they're, go ahead with the woo-woo. Right. Okay. Well, well, I'm going to debunk. Well, who knows? Maybe it's woo-woo and, and then the science caught up after the woo-woo. Who knows right. what's the chicken or the egg? They're both Best of both worlds. Balance. <laughs> in and in the egg. Co-arising. So yeah. a clinical psychologist and researcher, Dr. Paul Gilbert from the UK, he did a bunch of research into, into self-compassion and compassion generally and the, the neuroscience of it. So what he found is the, the physiology of self-criticism. So when, we have, when we're having a difficult moment, often what happens, even on our subtle level, is we start to criticize ourselves. Once we start criticizing ourselves, our nervous system actually treats that as a threat. So that survival instinct, the fight, flight, or freeze system of the, of the nervous system gets activated. So our 
are predators these days, if you will. You know, a long time ago, they used to be tigers and bears and lions. And, and these days, it, they're not so much external threats, they're internal threats. And our nervous system responds to self-criticism as if it were a predator, as if it's life or death. So that's really useful information. Like self-criticism doesn't feel good anyway, but really good reason to offer self-compassion because self-compassion is the antidote for that. When we start to take on a self-compassionate posture, the, the parasympathetic part of the nervous system kicks in. And that's the part that Paul, Paul Gilbert is, is calling the mammalian caregiver system. So rather than um, excreting adrenaline and cortisol the way that the fight or flight, the sympathetic, sorry, the sympathetic nervous system does through the fight or flight reflex and what happens in the self-criticism, it's a completely different hormonal package when we practice self-compassion. It, it, it activates this mammalian caregiver system, which, which helps us get in touch with the hormone of oxytocin, which we, many of us know, is the mother and baby bonding hormone. So it's got a totally different effect on the nervous system. It's, it's calming and soothing rather than readying us for action and to, to run or get safe it gets us ready to connect and bond. So because it's mammalian, it's not just humans, it's all mammals. We all respond to touch. So this connection between this practice of the soothing touch and self-compassion is that the soothing touch in itself starts to generate oxytocin. It helps the nervous system flip the switch between between the fight or flight response and this bonding and, and attaching response. So it has, has an effect of calming us and soothing us and it feels good. It's much easier to connect with others when we're in this place. And the, the, the soothing touch is one of the key elements that will activate that. It's soothing touch and warmth and gentle vocalizations. And since, since I learned that, I carry a, a hot water bottle with me now when I travel. Anywhere I go, I take a hot water bottle. And I, I use that as if I start feeling nervous, like I do sometimes when I travel, I have the hot water bottle. And it it's something about that warmth is so comforting and it helps me to stay or return to that place, relaxation and, and ease. Real simple bodily uh, Girl, offering simple to this community for soothing is like the best. It's like, you know, the golden nugget. I love it. So, so far in our conversation, you have shared so much beautiful wisdom and insight, and you have an opportunity coming up that you can offer to our community. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, great. Yes. Well, as Colette already knows, because she's a teacher now. With the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, there's a lot of us teachers out there, and I'm offering an eight-week course coming up with my co-teacher, beautiful, dear friend. Her name is Siri Chandler, and she's from Thailand. Eight-week course that starts on the 18th of April. It's in the, I don't know the exact time of day. It's something, I think it's 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Yeah, and it's each of the sessions are two and a half hours. 
once a week for eight weeks and sandwiched in there is a little mini retreat, a half day retreat. It's also included in the course. And yeah, we'll walk you through all the different pieces of the Mindful Self-Compassion course. It's like a, it's like going to a big buffet meal and you only have to eat the pieces that you, that you like off the, off the menu. You don't have to take everything, but we'll offer you a whole array of ways that you might become more self-compassionate and yeah the, the course is interactive so um it's it'll be small probably certainly no more than 20 people and we will have some guided meditations we'll have some reading material we'll have some live practices like little exercises that you can do with pen and paper and self-reflection to explore topics such as self-criticism loving kindness challenging relationships, caregiving, all kinds of pieces where like different aspects of life where we can learn to apply self-compassion to it. So hope you can join me, join us. And yeah, Colette will probably give some contact yes. details. In the show notes, I will definitely put the links where we can find you. And probably if they someone just wanted to get started right now, I'm more than sure they can go. Can they go to the, is it offered on the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion website or is it specific to you? Uh, they're changing things around. So it might be on the MSC website, but I'm not sure. Okay. But so I will look and I'll make sure that I get the link and we'll put them in the show notes that they can find you. So again, it's Marsha Burton who will be teaching this eight week Zoom based mindful self-compassion class. So you can be anywhere in the world as long as you can put that time frame in. You can benefit from Marsha's wonderful teaching for mindful self-compassion. So all right. Well, we're going to wrap up here. And what I would like to do, I think I'm going to speak on Marsha's behalf. And when I'm done, I'm going to have her offer anything if she wants as well. But through the course of this conversation, we really saw some beautiful insight. And one of the things that she shared made me tear up. And that was how she has gotten to a place through her journey, which started with carrying small weights around the weight room, not carrying the 500 pound dumbbell, but she started easy. And she has now reached a place where she can look in the mirror and with authentic joy and acceptance, see her beauty and appreciate who she is with a gentle, loving, kind, supportiveness. And I said that the reason why it moved me to tears is because there is nothing that I wish more for our community than for all those caregivers who are out there depleting themselves because of self-criticism or guilt or shame or overwhelm or any of those things and you know Marsha and I offer this these tools for you so that you can find that peace and ease and love and support in your life so did you want to add anything to that oh no I think you said it really well I just want to say big gratitude to you Colette you're such an inspiring person and to have you in in my group of people to Play with self-compassion has been a real joy for me and I feel really inspired by you and and the even just the background there. I know. <laughs> you guys can't see my background, but it's a little sparkly. <laughs> Very sparkly, bright, colorful. It's so well chosen for you. You can hear it in your voice. You don't need to see the image of Colette. You can hear it in her voice, all that beautiful, sparky vibrancy and love of life. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful to be with you, Colette. Thank you. you Well, and I just, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Those are lovely compliments. And I just have to say that there was a time where I was in darkness and I had to work to get to where I'm at. And I just have deep gratitude 
constantly and my self-compassion practice was a lot. And I do see you and I, you know, I'm so grateful that we can be an example to other people to know that when they're facing the hard, that it's okay. We're allowed to be messy. We're allowed to make mistakes and just keep that loving touch, move forward and just know that you are worthy and good and you will get to that place because that's what we want for you. So, all right. So I always end my podcast by offering my community the biggest, hardest hug in the entire world. And then may you take good care. So, all right, my lovies, go forth and sprinkle compassion confetti all over your life. May so many beautiful things become of it. To connect more, find me at Compassion Confetti on Instagram and Compassion Confetti for Autism Moms on Facebook. Check out www.compassionconfetti.com for more information on my teaching and speaking, working together one-on-one, and all of the podcast episodes. And toss some confetti at your friends and loved ones. Even if you tell one person about this podcast and that person feels more love and less alone, we have nailed it. Finally, feel free to bury me in confetti by leaving a rating or review anywhere where you listen to your podcasts. Sending a big hard hug until we meet again. Take good care.